Welcome inside the Celtics Lab podcast. This episode, we dive into the aborted homecoming, if you can call it that, of Kyrie Irving, which is not happening on the day of this recording, Wednesday, November 27th, as well as trying to unpack a lot of the narratives which swirl around this polarizing player. We've brought on Jack Manuel of the Brooklyn Buzz and Off the Glass fame to try to help us get to the bottom of what we know, what we think we know, and what we don't know of Irving's impact from the two entangled Eastern Conference franchises. How's it going, Jack? I'm honored to be on a Boston Celtics podcast with the only two Boston <laughs> Celtics fans that I actually like. Thank you, sir. Oh, totally. We <laughs> like you, too. Yeah. <laughs> Never uh, thought it we understand. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it, because it's gotten to the point where some of these narratives about Kyrie, like, I really do, you know, hang my hat on some of them, but a lot of them are really getting under my skin. Um, I just wrote a piece on USA Today about one of them. We can talk about that later. Uh, but before we get into the Kyrie stuff, let's uh, let's take a few minutes just to check on uh, what's been going on since our last pod. The uh, The win streak is over. But the losses have at least been close. Cam, do you have any thoughts on basically the games that we have gone through with some mixed results since the win streak ended? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the way I've approached how this the Celtics have had such an improbable start has been uh, with tepid optimism. I don't really think that the Celtics had played that many great or impressive games. I mean, they beat the Bucks. Uh, and they beat the Mavs, and that was good, but mostly they were just beating up on bad teams. So I kind of was unsure of what to make of this team. I think that the way that the Celtics hung around with the Clippers and just turned it into a rock fight uh, was really interesting, and if you're a Celtics fan, incredibly encouraging. They did not win that game uh, because <laughs> Ka- Kawhi Leonard did Kawhi Leonard things down the stretch, but uh, I thought that was really telling and gave a better peek at what the Celtics' ceiling might be than, you know, beating Phoenix uh, or beating up on some bad teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, to be fair, Phoenix has been surprisingly good this season. I'm actually surprised we beat them by as much as we did uh, when we faced them last week. They did have Rubio, uh, Ricky Rubio, out. So, you know, he's been along with Aaron Baines, unfortunately for us. Uh, He's been a big part of their success so far this season. But like you, I was really surprised with what happened uh, with the Clippers. Uh, Particularly when you take into account that we were were down uh, Hayward, Gordon Hayward, and we still managed to to do pretty well. We we probably could have won that game had things broken just a little bit different. I mean, uh, the Celtics started 0 for 15 from three. Exactly. So even if two of those go down, the outcome is incredibly different. Yeah, I mean, maybe throughout the whole, whole the whole game too, because once you start feeling it, you know, it goes in a lot more often. Right. Um, so without without dwelling on the win loss record too much, um, after seeing the. Uh, Three loss, two win road trip. Definitely not, you know, the outcome we wanted, obviously. But considering how close a lot of the games were, uh, have you has your opinion changed about what this team could possibly do this season at all? I think uh, I'm pretty impressed with the rookies. Uh, the other day against Sacramento, Jason Tatum was the most experienced Celtics player on the floor for maybe like four minutes, and that is just a testament of like what has happened to this team. Uh, but by and large, so the rookies have been able to hang. I know Grant Williams <laughs> refuses to make a three, but otherwise um, the Celtics are getting great production out of the young players, which I don't know how sustainable that is, but uh, is p- 
part of the puzzle for how the Celtics team is winning as many games as they've won. I still have big questions about what happens when you face Anthony Davis uh, or Joel Embiid when he's actually on. Uh, the front line for the Celtics, I don't know how long they can get away with this crazy small ball. Uh, but that said, Tice has been playing great. Robert Williams is really looking promising. So maybe that in and of itself is not that much of a problem. So I think there's so much heart in the Celtics team. There's a lot of up-tempo play going on. Um, but then again, they can slow things down the way that they did against the Clippers. So I wasn't uh, super bullish on the Celtics going into the season, and I think I might have been wrong to be that way because it's looking good. Yeah, I am actually right there with you in terms of having started out pretty, I guess the word you use, tepid, is a great way to describe it. I had very qualified expectations of just not being as bad as last season, which seemed like a pretty pretty easy bar to meet, uh, which we will talk about extensively in a little bit. Um <laughs> But I, I feel like this is a good point to talk about the other major thing that happened. Um, and I really wanted to say something about this. Uh, a lot of listeners, regular listeners know I teach uh, in addition to writing uh, to you know put food on my table. And I was teaching in an online English class while watching that, that a particular Celtics game, uh, the Denver Nuggets game, where... I wasn't. I didn't even see the play. I just saw the collision. I just looked up from one of my students saying something and saw Kemba Walker go head first into Semi Ohale. And let me tell you, I almost had to stop the class because I was so shook up by what I was seeing. I mean, I'm sure the rest of you uh, who saw some of that, uh, it was not an easy thing to watch. Um, and it's just a freaking miracle that, you know, he's basically uh, potentially able to play uh, tonight against Brooklyn. Any thoughts yeah. on that? And if not, I think he'll be back for Friday. Yeah, I thought my, I don't, I said afterwards, I can't remember seeing a player on the ground for that long and then on the stretcher for that long. I They were so careful with him to the extent that I thought he was paralyzed. I mean, it just looked, the play itself wasn't so scary, but the follow-up after um, I was watching at a bar, so I didn't get to hear any of the commentary, but it just looked like a crime scene almost, the way that people were being so careful. Uh, and I think that, I mean, everything lives on the edge of chaos in the NBA. If, if we're going to talk about the Nets shortly, but the Kevin Durant injury was pretty fluky, and uh, an injury like this to Kemba would have completely changed the fortune for the Celtics. And so on any given night, entire fate of the NBA could change because someone goes head first into their teammates' abs. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, it was wild. But I'm, I remember seeing it, and the comparison that I sort of made was Jamaran, and not the same sort of injury, but the same gravity and sort of danger that it looked like the injury had sort of inflicted upon the player. And Jamaran ended up coming back, and he's been healthy enough since obviously he plays wild basketball, completely different style of basketball to Kemba, but that sort of fluke nature. And, and I really agree with what you're saying, Cam, in, in the sense that the, it, you're on a knife's edge in this league and any team, you know, one or two injuries can really, you know, change the, the trajectory of your season. You know, us having our three of our best players out for extended periods of time, you know, Kyrie and Karras, you know, Karras will probably be back in the next three weeks. 
Kyrie hopefully backs in the next week or so, but you know, there's talk that he might need shoulder surgery. So it can really change, you know, your entire ceiling. And if you don't have the the requisite depth, which you know the Celtics are certainly developing, and Brooklyn hopefully are now with this mini run that they're having as well, you know, you can really fall behind the eight ball. Indeed, indeed. And you know, to be honest, uh, this brings us to the next topic. Really, uh, tonight, you know, Kyrie obviously isn't playing. It's a big disappointment to people. Um, Maybe, maybe if surgery is off the table um, and he is able to come back, we might see him uh, away uh, at Barclays on Friday. But at least for now, there is a bunch of stuff swirling around the NBA media and particularly the Boston Celtics media that is getting kind of insufferable, at least, you know, on one hand, for you guys, uh, Brooklyn fans out there who are just hearing the endless comparisons, and I think a lot of them are valid, and we can talk about that in, in today's lab. Um, but on the other hand, also just this idea that he is uh, trying to avoid games. And so we have these narratives, these twin, not twin, actually multiple narratives that we should probably dive into uh, so, I mean, that's why we, we brought you on, Jack, to, to try to talk about this and yep. see exactly, you know, what evidence there is for a lot of these different trends that people are talking about. The trends that Kyrie is of some kind of a locker room cancer or that his style of play only works in certain situations. Uh, ideas that, you know, he will never play for uh, a home game of a franchise uh, that he used to play for. Uh, all these different things. There's some pretty compelling evidence for some and not for others. So how about we take a look and see exactly what there is to some of these these narratives. So the Kyrie conundrum. How much or little is he behind the current situations of both the Nets and the Celtics. And now, you know, recently, and you know, this speaks to some of the narratives we'll be diving into. Uh, the Nets have started turning their season around uh, while Irving has been sitting with that shoulder impingement. At the same time, where the Celtics, who were really probably expected to be around a 500 team, maybe a little bit better this season, um, they're, they're doing a lot better than expected. Is I guess the way I want to say that. Uh, now, the question is why. What do we feel about Kyrie being behind Brooklyn's rough start? Is there anything, you know, right now before we look at things that, that speaks to us about this? See, I'm I'm always skeptical about it, Justin, in the sense that I don't think Brooklyn have had that tough of a start. I always thought there would be about a 45-win team at our best, not saying that we couldn't be better and were at worst, you know, maybe just under 500 team. You know, we just got over 500 uh, the other night thanks to the Cleveland win. So I think Kyrie Irving has got us in a lot of games. Sometimes in late-game situations, you know, to present the narrative where he's not so much uh, a closer and he's sort of taking away from what is the beautiful Brooklyn Nets basketball where we moved the ball and, you know, we had 300 passes a game. Yes, he can get he bogged things down, but at the same time, that is the the, the catch-22 when you have a superstar like Kyrie who can get you in those tough games in the first place. There's no way we would have had a chance against Utah, against Denver, without the ex- the exploits of Kyrie Irving. And yes, the Denver game, I don't think he should have played. And I, I know Nick has said that on the Brooklyn Buzz too. 
So I think it's something you have to balance when you have an enigmatic superstar on the court. This is just purely on the court, like Kyrie Irving. You need to take on some of his positives as well as some of his negatives. And for me, that's a challenge that Coach Kenny uh, and the staff has to work on. And I think he has gotten better. I've really liked some of his passing games this season as well. I remember in the first half, I can't remember if it was Utah or Denver when he had eight assists. I think it was Denver, actually. And, you know, I remember I put out the, the silly SpongeBob meme where he's like, he doesn't move the ball, he bogs down the offense. But I think it there is there is some validity to the narrative where, you know, he, he, he can make your team worse in some aspects. But I think what he does and the talent that he brings, he still does make his teammates better purely because of the gravity of his, his individual talent. But I understand in terms of the fit and in terms of certain situations where he might not be ideal in specific organizations. Cam, you have anything to say about that? Yeah, it's, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I found some stats. One is that uh, as of, I think, two days ago, Kyrie was leading the league in clutch points. He's got 51 of those, which are uh, in a game where the score is five points or closer and five minutes left in that game. So mm-hmm. the narrative that Uncle Drew is clutch still holds water. Uh, but then that, that doesn't really vibe with the eye test um because there have been stretches where he goes in into hero mode in like a really counterproductive way uh i also found that the nets are ranked 28th in passes per game uh which jack to your point the nets used to have like this really great team first let's pass the ball let's share the rock game where d'angelo russell was maybe the focal point of the offense but barely uh and now the Nets uh, don't have that going on. Um, Kyrie Irving is averaging seven and a little more than seven assists per game, which is about uh, actually is better. I think is a career number. I think uh, it is, but, yeah. But it doesn't always have the same feng shui uh, as certainly last year's Nets team, and then also as a team that has all the pieces together. But then it's also they have integrated a new point guard. Uh, they have integrated a new center, and that takes time. They were only a fifth of the way through this season, so it's not like they've had a tremendous amount of experience together making this work. So I think I, I agree with you, Justin. I In preparing for this, I was just going through some of the headlines about Kyrie and about Kemba and uh, leading into Wednesday night's Nets-Celtics game, and it's just poison on both sides. Uh, the Boston-based writers are slandering Kyrie and uh, <laughs> vaunting Kemba, and then the Brooklyn writers are ignoring some key problems that the Nets have. Uh, and I think, really, it's just like not enough time has persisted. I think uh, the Celtics should be happy because Kemba has been great, and it does seem like the chemistry is completely different than it was last year, and that's great. And then the Nets, we don't know what's going to happen because Kevin Durant is a huge piece of that puzzle and he's on the sidelines. So almost uh, everything that's going to happen between now and then is a moot point in the first place. So I uh, I love a good hot take. I love good narratives. I love big games around holidays. But uh, Justin, to your point, some of it is just a crazy amount of noise. Um, It is. And then I have one thing to add which is well i'll let you transition because i have some thoughts on whether or not Kyrie is 
uh, skipping this game or not. Well, I have I have a little bit I would like to add to this. Speaking to Jack's point, which is that just this, and you, you touched on it as well the structural nature of this team, with Durant being a huge portion of the team's salary cap, completely unable to play. Um, we knew, you know, it's not exactly a mystery that Irving is I won't I won't call him a fragile player, but he has all kinds of small injuries that routinely make him miss 10% or more each season. It's almost like clockwork. So you factor those two things in with the fact that they shipped out a large part of the roster that made them tick lessies, not the key parts, mercifully, for how they're doing now, except for when they face the Celtics, of course. Um, I think there was much of an ability for this team to be much more successful than it's being anyway. And while they don't control their pick, which is an important factor we'll talk about later, um, the odds are they were going to end up getting it anyway, because considering it's a lottery protected. And, you know, while the Eastern Conference is weak, there, there, there's still a, a fairly high bar for them to meet, particularly if they're looking at the end of the season, for example, if they're, you know, having to ride Irving as they did earlier in the season with, you know, over 30 minutes a game just, just to stay in them. Um, but if you return to where the situation is now, they, in, in the last uh, six games that he has been out, they're five and one um, compared to four to seven with him, which does lean on uh, that whole narrative that he is behind it to at least a certain degree. But it's really kind of hard to separate uh, whether or not it's Irving that's the problem or the fact that, you know, as you go on to the season, uh, people start to get chemistry, particularly when you have new elements as there are on this team. So it's really hard to decipher on its own whether or not he's very responsible or even at all responsible. But let's go to, to the Celtics and uh, and their, their current uh, surprising start, whether Kyrie not being on the team has a role in that. What are your thoughts? Let's start with you, Jack. Yeah, I think it really, I think it is, but I think it takes away from a lot of the points that both of you guys have been making when you were just recapping some of the results. You know, the the growth from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you know, Marcus Smart, for me, you know, he's been my defensive player of the year so far. And, you know, I really liked his his piece in the Players' Tribune. Funnily enough, he was listing the players that he found toughest to defend, listed his former teammate and Kyrie Irving on there as well. And obviously, Gordon Hayward playing uh, some revitalized basketball at the start of the season well I think it takes away from those elements to put it all on Kyrie Irving I think it's easy but I also think it's lazy and I think for the most part the most switched on Boston Celtics fans the most plugged in Celtics fans like you guys will address and give credence to specific narratives and specific um, elements for what it's worth but knowing that you know Kemba Walker is almost a better stylistic fit for this Brad Stevens offense, and he's playing some pretty good defensive basketball as well. Uh, as well, he's almost an upgrade, I guess, over Isaiah Thomas, sort of like a, a supercharged Isaiah, while also being able to provide uh, for Jalen Brown and, and Tatum. That sort of big three, uh, quote unquote, has been sensational. And you know, obviously, these young guys as well. You know, we thought that they'd have. I thought that they would have some more issues at center, but I think Tice has been really good as a defensive presence, and they're young guys too. And I mean, Enos Cantor, you know, he can fill in here and there, but he's had his injury issues. So I think for the most part, there is an element, but if we're putting, like, I know Nick always likes to give me a percentage. He likes to throw percentages at me. I think if, we, if it's a percentage, I think it's under 10%. I'd say 8 or 9%. <coughs> it's Kyrie Irving, you know, being, leaving the organization 
whereas 90% plus is all of the elements that I just listed and more. There's some synergistic stuff going on. Cam, I'm wondering if you are seeing this, seeing as, you know, like me, you tend to pay a bit more attention to the Celtics, I'm assuming, than, than Jack does. Um, what, are you, what are you seeing in terms of, like, this Kemba Walker synergy? Is this legit, for one thing? Um, you know, both of these teams, uh, ironically enough, are tied for having the fifth easiest record. So it's pretty hard, according to Vegas. Um, so it's pretty hard to blame that on either side for having a role. I mean, what are your thoughts based on what you're seeing in terms of what Jack was talking about? I think Jack's right. All the right players have stepped up for the Celtics, which is exactly what needed to happen for them to stay afloat. Uh, I think the way that I have been trying to make sense of it is if you switched Kyrie and Kemba this season, and I, I just feel like it would be opposite results. I think that the Nets would be really smooth sailing if they had Kemba right now. Uh, and I think that the Celtics would continue to struggle the way they had in the Kyrie Irving era. Uh, I think it has a little bit, I mean, it seems like Kemba is just like a lightning rod of positivity, but I think also a little bit, he doesn't demand the ball in the same way at, at the very least. He doesn't kind of carry the same gravity. Um, they're both, in their ninth season to get uh, uh, as a pro, but the just the pedestal that Kyrie is on is very different. So it feels a little unfair to the rest of the Celtics to say, well, you got rid of uh, Kyrie. And I think getting rid of Al Horford opened up opportunity. Yeah. So that's part of it too. I mean, uh, I think if you compare the usage rates between the two players, they're pretty similar. Um, Kyrie is taking a bit more, actually is taking 23 shots per game and Kemba is taking just uh, shy of 17 shots per game. So there's a little bit of something there, but I just think that the Celtics locker room really was such a weird toxic place last season. I thought, I don't know if you guys saw Rachel Nichols had an interview with Danny Ainge. I thought he handled it really well and he almost admitted he should have traded young people to uh or young celtics rather to make things easier for kyrie irving which was interesting but i think it's just like the celtics uh have a hot new young girlfriend and (laughs) they feel so good about themselves (laughs) and i think eventually the rubber will hit the road and they'll regress to the mean a little bit uh and then the nets I think that if we're using the girlfriend analogy, they also have a hot new girlfriend. Uh, they're just acclimating a little more slowly, and that's fine too. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. Um, I, I tend to agree with all of this. I do think that there is something to the notion that each will be a better fit for their respective teams the way yeah. that they are going to be constructed. I feel like the Nets knew what they were doing. They set up the team, you know, KD is the perfect 1A to Kyrie's 1B. He's going to take the pressure off of Kyrie to be the person who, you know, all the microphones get rammed in the face of on every night that, you know, he clearly does not like and does not do well with. And he'll be able to be the kind of leader that he wants to be in Brooklyn. Uh, You know, if we look back at the, the strongest evidence of how poor of a fit that he was with the Celtics, that would be the first season when he was with the team and more even more in stark contrast the second season where he had a respective uh 
0.653 winning record uh, with him on the Celtics playing for the Celtics in 2017-18 compared to 6.57 with him out. Not that impressive. You know, maybe there's something there. It's a very small difference. But then when you look at last season, it's just wow. Like 0.857 win record with him out, uh, 0.593 with him in. Um, so, I mean, there's clearly some evidence that at least last season, uh, once everyone had, you know, contract, uh, interest to take care of, um, once everyone had whatever else was going on in their lives, that it, it was just like oil and water, you know, it, whatever, whatever was there the season before that, you know, there were hints of, it became very clear last season that the structure was just, you know, unsupportable. It just couldn't last and it didn't. So, I do think that, you know, while there is evidence of something, that's not necessarily evidence that, you know, Kyrie's absence uh, is why Boston is doing so much better. It's just evidence that it wasn't a good fit with that roster, in my opinion, which brings us to another. And I think this is going to be a very quick one for us to deal with. But the notion that Kyrie is a problem for locker rooms. Thoughts? From the Brooklyn perspective, Justin, uh, it's been anything but. You know, we saw Jared Allen go on a, a, the British Report AMA, and he said that you know it's completely false in that sort of sense. You know, Coach Kenny is, and after the Jackie McMullen piece was released, which was for everyone that actually read it, was a completely thoughtful, you know, holistic piece about you know Kyrie, KD, and DJ, and was an amazing piece. But when you have Bleacher Report, you know, getting the the little blog boy sort of elements where they just pick out the quotes that sort of stick out to them. No, it, it, it's not true. Um, I think that Kyrie, you know, when I've seen him there, you know, when I was over in the States and, you know, he was he was playing and, you know, he was having fun on the bench. You know, he's dancing with Theo. He's doing all these celebrations. He's talked about how happy he is in Brooklyn because he, you know, he's able to go to uh, games with his dad. You know, he's able to be with family, you know, his partner. Um, he feels like this is home for him. And I think that we can't underestimate that element for the, for these guys. And I think it, it speaks more to just general superstar movement. But to just be comfortable in, a, in your work situation, I think all of us deserve that opportunity. And I think if you have the ability to do that, to find that sort of element of home and that element of comfort uh, in your workplace, I think that you should go for it. And doesn't matter if you're a teacher, like a lot of us on on this podcast right now, or if you're an MBA. <laughs> all of us, <laughs> all of us, literally all of us. Um, I mean, I mean, I've taught in a couple of different countries, and you know, I like teaching in Melbourne, I like teaching in London, and maybe I might teach in the states one day. But I think to say, you know, he has a, a negative impact on locker rooms. You know, has you know some gravity because you know the results of, of what you saw in Boston, which I'm sure Cam and, and you will touch on a little bit. But in Brooklyn, until I see something that isn't a Stephen A. Smith take on first take, then you know, <laughs> unless it comes from you know Coach Kenny himself or Spencer Dinwiddie or you know a more accredited you know Brooklyn Nets reporter, you know, I'm not buying it. Cam, uh, I actually disagree with Jack because I think that this is a young Nets team that will be surprised at the demands of a superstar player like Kyrie. Uh, he's just a mini LeBron. He thinks a certain way and wants things a certain way, and he is one of the 12 best people in the world at what he does, so he's entitled to do that. Uh, I think that the young players will, and maybe Coach Atkinson, because I mean he's untested in a lot of ways too, I think that they will struggle keep up with his weird mood swings and uh when things get tough that will be 
really challenging for them. Haven't but they already gotten is, tough, though? Yeah, but uh, thing, even though things got tough... Um, Justin, can I swear? You can swear your freaking face <laughs> off. Um, well, when, he, when Kyrie told uh, that fan to suck his dick or whatever, that... <laughs> That was an early struggle for the Kyrie Celtics, and then things got great, and then he got hurt, which is something we should talk about, yeah. uh, and then he came back, and he was moody again. So uh, this little bit of struggle does not qualify Nets fans to say that they have experienced what it means to have Kyrie Irving on your team, because you guys better just buckle up and wait. All of that being said, I think that Kevin Durant and DeAndre Jordan change everything, because... As we saw in Cleveland, if there are other superstars to uh, cohabitate with Kyrie and understand where he's coming from, to take pressure off of him, to talk to the media, like you said, Justin, um, to just share the spotlight and the responsibility and everything that comes with it, uh, that's going to be huge. Because in Boston, the closest thing to that was either Al Horford, who is not cut from the same superstar cloth, or Jason Tatum, who was 20 years old at the time. Uh, so I think that it's very possible that we continue to hear weird stories about Kyrie um, coming out of Brooklyn and his young teammates are tested. But once Kevin Durant is in the fold, assuming that happens, I think this will be very different than anything that happened in Boston. I think not just because Kevin Durant is one of the best basketball players in the world, but just because of who Durant is and how much of a peer he is to Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think that's going to change everything. I, I completely agree. I, I can't really add too much more than that, other than the fact that we aren't hearing um, that he is some kind of an incredibly toxic uh, teammate out of his former Cleveland uh, teammates. You know, we do know that he is uh, a demanding and difficult at times teammate, but most people in the NBA at moments are, and particularly stars. So that doesn't really shock me uh, that th- th- people might think that he is a bit of, I don't, I don't want to say a ticking time bomb, but a potential um, monkey wrench in any kind of a feel-good narrative this season. Um, and, you know, if he does get shoulder surgery, it's it's really going to be very difficult to, to feel out how that's going to play in terms of the overall season narrative for the Nets. Um, but... I do think that you are right. There is still the possibility of some waves this season, depending on how things uh, break. I don't think there's um, the same structure to worry about that really amplified it to a level that was just completely unsustainable as it was in Boston. But I do think that Nets fans, uh, they should buckle up, as you said, because he can be, you know, pretty hard to uh i don't know how what's the right word here to deal with um in terms of negativity when things aren't going his way but overall i think that things are structurally much better prepared for irving both you know in light of expectations this season but also going forward with with jordan and with durant being on the team But this brings us to, you know, a couple of other issues. We know that he clashes with certain people like Jalen Brown um, in Boston. I don't think that's the same thing, really, as necessarily being a quote-unquote bad teammate. It's just some people he really doesn't get along with. I think that's something you will find with anybody on any team over time. But 
Does he need a certain roster makeup to succeed? Am I am I off base with this premise? That's another big narrative. And I see that, you know, things are already going much better for him with a roster that's much more similar to what he had in Cleveland. Am I on an island here? Or is this like a narrative completely of my own and a few other Celtics writers making that we, we have kind of like clung on to, Jack? What do you think? I think this as a narrative, Justin, probably has the most validity out of all of them because it's based off past results and we can sort of see the evidence already there. And obviously it's unproven in Brooklyn right now. The results didn't occur in Boston despite the the high levels of talent. But I think sort of touching on, I guess, a little bit the locker room and personality dynamics of teammates, I think in comparison, if you're comparing Jalen Brown to like a Karis Levert as just a, a one-to-one fit, you know, Karis Levert has a, a, a more malleable sort of personality to, to, to sort of say it. I guess Jalen Brown's a bit more headstrong in a positive way. I love Jalen Brown mm-hmm. uh, as just an overall NBA personality. And I think a lot of the young guys in the Brooklyn Nets locker room are like that. Jared Allen, incredibly softly spoken. You know, just the other day, Coach Tony was like to him, um, you look, Jared, we need you to step up. We need you to be more consistent. He's like, okay, Coach, I'll be more consistent. And then he has like two, a 15-15 game and another 20-20 game. So I think the in terms of makeup fit and roster fit, I think... Brooklyn is similar to Cleveland. Obviously, it's going to be very hard to sort of see and, and, and you know, analyze and assess until we see Kevin Durant out on the basketball court. But I think it's also due to the fact that Kyrie chose this situation. Yes, you know, he was, you know, motivated. Yes, he wanted to come back to Boston. But at the end of the day, he was traded there. And despite everything and everything that he said and he didn't say and that has been twisted and hasn't been twisted and came from his own mouth, his choice was to come to Brooklyn in free agency. Sean Marks and Coach Kenny directly, you know, assessed him and, and how he would fit within their culture because, you know, they built the culture first and you, you want to build the culture to bring the superstars. And luckily enough, that did happen. But in terms of just Kyrie purely as a player and, and what he needs to succeed to reach his, his peak individual success and peak team success, I think Cleveland is the number one thing. And I think Kevin Durant playing with you, you know, your best friend and what the one or one A at his best uh, superstar in the league, uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a pretty synergistic fit on the basketball court. You know, obviously, hopefully Kevin Durant gets back to the level where we all have seen of him and, you know, the, the we all know and love. And, you know, he's one of the, you know, 15, 20 best players uh, in the history of the game. So I think as the 1B number two option behind a LeBron, behind a Kevin Durant, you can be a championship team with Kyrie Irving. The ceiling with the Kyrie Irving as your number one guy, we saw it in Boston. I think in Brooklyn, you know, I did a piece for OGD Basketball in the preseason that the Nets would have a ceiling of the three seed. I was optimistic. Um, obviously, it would depend on health and, you know, I probably didn't take that into account enough. But, you know, the, the floor, I think, is higher than what we have with D'Angelo Russell as well. So, you know, Kyrie brings a lot, but I think his individual talent uh, levels up your floor, but also you have a certain peak of your ceiling at the same time. Uh, I, th- I agree. I think that a Kyrie Irving-led team might not have a championship ceiling. I think the Celtics, from an offense standpoint, it was a really great fit for Kyrie. Uh, I think Brad Stevens loves to use a point guard in attack mode. I think the problem was, uh, unlike Karis LeVert or Spencer Dinwiddie, you had players like Terry Rozier and Jalen Brown who had been featured players in the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron. And they weren't about to become the 7th and 8th man um, while Kyrie badmouths Thanksgiving and has weird <laughs> mood swings. So uh, there was just 
way too many cooks in the kitchen. So it was a talented roster, but the expectations were just something that I don't think any coach uh, could have handled. So, uh, and I think Jack, your point uh, doesn't get made enough. Kyrie didn't choose the Celtics situation. I mean, I think there was some conversation when he was going to leave Cleveland that he would like to be traded to a team like Boston, but uh, it is not the same as, you know, going to the Bahamas and handpicking your teammates um, like he got to do in Brooklyn. So uh, in terms of an offensive fit, I think in theory, Boston, the way it was constituted last year and the year before was spectacular. Um, And we never really got to see what could have happened with a big three of Kyrie, Gordon Hayward and Al Horford. Uh, But like we said before, the NBA is just chaos and so many crazy things happen such that we never really got to see that experiment play out in the first place. So speaking on things we aren't going to see, like tonight's, uh, as it's <laughs> been called. Segue. Very professional. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the unwelcome reunion, I guess you could say, or homecoming or whatever you want to call it, uh, of Kyrie Irving to TD Garden. He, he supposedly, according to most of uh, Celtics media, faking or at least exaggerating this injury to not play for his home, uh, his former home franchise, uh, as he supposedly did against Cleveland. And I kind of, I will admit, I kind of bought it a little bit in, when, when it was Cleveland. But, you know, now that it has become such an ubiquitous idea that he is blowing off games uh, to avoid, I don't know, getting booed. I mean, do, would you guys like uh, miss out? I mean, not to, he's going to get paid anyway, but would you would you miss out on, you know, would you be not paid millions of dollars uh, to get, you know, a, a stadium of angry people, you know, booing at you, not wanting to do your job? I don't know. It just seems kind of, well, let's talk about it. What do you, what do you guys think of this narrative in the first place? Is it complete bull? Uh, is there anything to it? Like, what are your thoughts? We'll start with you, Jack. Yeah, it's complete BS for me, Justin. And <laughs> I literally, as we as we've been chatting, I got a Bleacher Report notification that there are there are coward posters hanging out the side of TD Garden, and you know, I mean, Boston's fans will get up all in their feels, and and most any any sports fan will get up in their feels when you know you lose a, a generational superstar like Kyrie Irving. But I think you just need to be happy with what you have. But with the in relation to the the whole injury narrative. I think Kyrie Irving would probably relish the opportunity to come up against Boston and throw it, you know, throw a fifty-point night at them and throw it in their face a little bit because I think he relishes, at least just from a, a subjective standpoint, what I see from him and what he has produced on big occasions. I see him as a big occasion player. Obviously, what he did in Boston the postseason doesn't reflect that. But I think when it comes to like, you know, there's national TV Kyrie where he always seems to step up. I think in this situation, you know, going back to Boston, whether it's, you know, we see him again um, when not necessarily when he goes back to Boston, but when, you know, possibly he gets back for for the Barclays game, which I don't think he'll be back for just from a personal uh, opinion. I think it's I think it's silly, you know, at, at the very least. And I think it's dangerous at the worst because, you know, you're questioning a guy's competitive nature and you're questioning, you know, a guy's you know competitive compass which I think from the most point in 400 of the 410 NBA players, however many there are in the league, all of them relish the opportunity to go out there and hoop on any occasion. And I think that to suggest that he is faking it, I mean, it's just, it's just dumb. It's just stupid. And I think it reflects more on if you think that that is your opinion. And I remember 
Kendrick Perkins, the guy who oh, has Lord. I love quote, Kirk, quote, quote tweeted and responded to my tweets before. So I'm, I'm all about the, the Perk as a takes, man. But it's it just, again, it re- I think it reflects poorly on you if you have that opinion because you're just so irrational in, in your biases. Then it's almost just like, I can't take anything else you might have uh, that has validity or some legitimacy to it. I, like, if you say something else about Kyrus, where it's like, yeah, he did this, but he also was really good. I'm like, look, I don't even believe anything you say because this one opinion is so bad and toxic, I can't take anything else that you're saying seriously. And I think um, your article highlighted a lot of it on USA Today as well. So I think it's just... I don't know. It, it gets me worked up a little bit trying to think about all the, the silly takes from people at the Boston Globe, Kendrick Perkins, Stephen A., all those sort of people. It's just, uh, it, it just you know, I'll, I'll end the rant with just a sigh. Insert I mean, sigh. I expect this from Stephen A. Uh, I think Boston writers as a whole, we can do better. I've I've had, you know, some green teamer fan fanboy kind of takey stuff in the past, like most of us have. But I also acknowledge uh, my, my my biases, my blind sides. Um, how are you taking this, Cam? I mean, what does this feel like to you? Uh, to me, I think it is a much, much more alarming uh, thing that people need to take note of uh, vis-a-vis Kyrie Irving. I believe this will be the seventh straight game that he is missing. Is that correct? Yep. So, uh, both Kemba and Kyrie are in their ninth season of service in the NBA. Kemba Walker has played 620 games, uh, but Kyrie has only played 519. Kyrie Irving is a fragile player. I think it lends itself to how he plays the game. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he is someone who gets hurt uh not infrequently in boston he played 60 games his first season and just 67 the season after that um he's already missing a big chunk of time here with brooklyn i think uh he has played 61 playoff games uh so just because he's had time to rest his tired bones doesn't mean he's not had a long nine-year career um and i think that is probably uh, something that Nets fans need to take seriously that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are two players uh, that on any given stretch may be on the bench. Uh, or actually, in Kyrie's case, they won't be on the bench. They will come up with some sort of nose surgery so that they don't have to be on the bench supporting their teammates. Um, so whether or not uh, you're worried about Kyrie's injury history, I don't think that this injury is made up. I think that he is truly has an injured shoulder and I think that he wouldn't miss six other games just to get out of uh, facing the music in Boston. Having said that, if he was healthy, I still think that he would come up with an injury and not play in tonight's game. Uh, Jack, I am questioning his, his hunger. I'm questioning uh, how much he wants to get up and face the fans booze. I think that, Everything I know about Kyrie Irving is that he would either fake an injury to get out of this game or otherwise completely shit the bed. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> so I am just going to go and jump in here and I'll give I'll give Jack a chance to to rebut uh, both of us before we get out of here. But I just want to make a couple of points. You know, player player rest, uh, particularly when healthy 
is a very hot topic right now. The league just released a clarifying memo on the 11th, a few days before he started missing games, uh, on what is required that Lowe, Zach Lowe of ESPN, did a story on, I think just yesterday or the day before, no, a couple days ago. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, I think it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. On the ramifications and requirements to not play healthy players and what will happen, you have to go through a really detailed process where you have to provide documentary evidence to independent physicians to verify that these players uh, who are, you know, sitting from national TV games, which, you know, Kyrie Irving in a game that Vegas has all these crazy prop bets on to say nothing of the regular bets that is an ESPN national television game in one of the most anticipated early season games of the year. Uh, I'm pretty sure it qualifies as exactly what Lowe was talking about in this article. Um, It was independently confirmed by a team medical professional uh, that this this new regime is being instituted to prevent teams from from sitting players during high stakes games and that they should only be sitting them, if at all, uh, for non-national television home games, which is also not happening. Um, I, I will not you know, deny that there may be times where Kyrie made the executive decision with the team physicians to rest in, in light of actual things wrong with him to maybe avoid games that he didn't necessarily want to deal with, you know, the media attention. It's very clear he doesn't like media attention. I will grant that. But the notion, you know, we need to trust people's doctors. There is nothing else besides sports in the world where if someone says, unless you're a boss and you're an asshole, um, (laughs) there is no other situation in the world where if you are being treated uh, ongoing by a medical doctor, um, that people will say, well, why aren't you working? You know, we need to trust these people's freaking doctors, people. Seriously. Yes, there is some fungibility where maybe one game here or a game there when someone misses a game or maybe two. That it's realistic that these people could be faking it in the sense that they are kind of playing it up to avoid something. Sure, I, I can I can see that. But I mean, of the three meetings uh, with Cleveland at home that, that uh, Irving had, he suited up for the first of them. Um, it was the only meeting with him in their entire regular season, and he played it. You know, you can't fault him in this first season for missing games that didn't exist, you know? And in the, the postseason when he missed games against Cleveland, home games against Cleveland, he was getting knee surgery. You can't be mad at a person for not playing in a game they're getting knee surgery. Uh, the next season, you know, there's some more viable situations that maybe kind of fed this narrative um, but I mean, the first of the two meetings, um, he ended up missing, I think, three of the six games before and two of the four after. The second, he played, you know, one of the worst games of the season with against the Spurs, scoring only 11 points and missed another game. The game after that, it seems like a really awkward combination of events to to, you know, flesh out this narrative that he's missing these games on purpose. Maybe one of them, maybe the other. I, I don't buy both of those either. And, you know, he'd already been back to Cleveland at that point, too. So is like, is he really going to get that much negative attention going back to Cleveland? Maybe. I don't know. Not based on what I was hearing uh, from the Cleveland Marriott, not based on what I was hearing from former teammates. Um, this season, um, you know, he lost the last three games, uh, including a negative 31 drubbing by Phoenix before he was out. Um 
as we've said, he missed six games just as the NBA cracked down on resting healthy players. He's probably going to miss at least two more, maybe more. He might even need surgery. I am not buying this narrative. Um, Jack, do you have anything to say on, on this narrative before we get out of here? And um, Cam, if you want to, you know, jump back in, feel free. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what Cam's saying, and I guess it's, it's coming from a fan perspective. We're all fans here at the end of the day. <laughs> But with Kyrie, I think it gets overlooked a little bit as well. And I think it was a narrative in the preseason when Kyrie was at his media availability for um, his first sort of time where we saw him in a Brooklyn Nets uniform, where he was speaking about the death of his grandfather and how he... And I think it's partly on him as well because he didn't communicate that to... Or maybe he did. I'm not 100% sure. Maybe he didn't communicate that to Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge. And he was going through some mental demons and, and dealing with the grief and didn't want to play basketball on some nights. And, and maybe that, you know, quote unquote, made him look soft and, you know, like he was faking an injury. Maybe some of those nights that Cam is speaking about were because of that. And I can totally imagine we've seen already this season, a lot of players had to take games off. Dennis Smith Jr., Andrew Wiggins, because of death in the family. There are legitimate reasons to not want to play because you can't mentally be prepared for an incredibly physically taxing sport. I think the situation is different in Brooklyn. I don't think to say that, you know, just because he did what he did in Boston means the exact same thing is going to happen in Brooklyn. Not saying that it couldn't, but I think it's less likely because of all the things we've spoken about in terms of he's chosen, you know, to be with his organization. He's surrounded by a a, a greater support network in in his best friends. I think he might have a, a little bit better of a relationship just as an early subjective standpoint with Coach Kenny than he did with Brad Stevens. Not to say that they didn't have a fruitful relationship at times. I think that there's just, it wasn't as beneficial as it is from the one with Kemba and Isaiah and Brad Stevens uh, in comparison. So, I'm not completely discounting everything that Cam said, but I think to say just because it happened there, it means it's going to happen everywhere, I think he is he, wrong. Uh, I think that Jack's probably empirically right. Um, I think <laughs> if, if I had to sit down with a pen and paper and, and try to pick the biggest Boston sports villain um, based on like behaviors that they've chose and choices that they've made, Probably Kyrie Irving is, if not the biggest of the 21st century, but the biggest in a long, long time. Uh, which is to say that the fan reaction at the Garden tonight would have been probably Justified. much, and probably worse than what happened in Cleveland, because Cleveland still had LeBron. Uh, I think the Celtics maybe should, if Celtics fans rather, should calm down and just be proud and act like they've been there with the team that they have. I mean, they're much higher in the standings right now than the Nets are. Uh, that said, I think that the scorn and the hatred would have been one of like the most horrific <laughs> uh, bits of booing in sports recent sports memory that I can think of. I can't. Think I think of... LeBron would be the only one when he went back yeah. to Cleveland. Yeah, and yeah, it was... would be on that order. Yeah. That was disgusting. Like that, and just as because you know the reason why I got into this game was LeBron James to see that happen. And I think you made the the good point just earlier, Cam, in that you know act like you've been there. You know you'll act above it. I think that you know take the high road. I mean it's easy because we get so caught up in, in sports. Well, just, I would say. I mean, I would say that the way that LeBron left Cleveland. I mean, he raised like two and a half million dollars um, for charity in the decision. And I think that whole season he was kind of coy with what his 
uh, next move was. I think Kyrie Irving made an ad with his father saying that he's going to have his number retired as a Celtic. Uh, so the way that he communicated his intentions versus the way that LeBron communicates his intentions were a little different. Uh, so I think Kyrie has earned a bit more scorn than LeBron did. Uh, but yeah, to your point, you have to be kind of... And I guess Cleveland... What what Cleveland didn't do for LeBron is inexcusable in the first time around. What Boston didn't do for Kyrie is not on the same order. So I think Celtics fans maybe get to be a little more angry at Kyrie than Cleveland yeah, totally. fans could have yeah, been totally. at LeBron. I think we all agree on that point. And I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Uh, we'll let the audiences, our respective audiences, decide Wait, ask, how they can feel. Can I ask a yeah. question before we no, leave it? No um, Wait, did you say no questions? I did, but go ahead anyway. Um, <laughs> well, we didn't get to talk about this in recapping last week. Uh, Justin, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being unbelievably great and 1 being putrid, what do you think of the Boston City Edition jerseys? And Jack, I'll pose the same thing with the Nets jerseys. Um, and I'll just tip my hand and say I think they're both terrible. <laughs> I actually like the Brooklyn ones. I am oh. into how they look. Um, <laughs> I understand why some people don't, but I like the symbolism behind them. Uh, I am much bigger of a fan of the City Edition Celtics now that they actually don't look like some kind of weird like uh, Irish club Miami Heat uh, alternate jersey mashup. <laughs> I think that Sports Illustrated ranked the Brooklyn Nets one as like seventh out of all the, the city editions. Now it's nowhere near the the M, the Miami Vice City, which oh, no. is always Ooh, it's... they're flames. They are so good. I mean, it makes they me want to be a Miami, wonderful. Miami Heat fan, but it's nowhere near to the to the depths of the doldrums of a cream city or a sack town. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's wonderful for content, but I mean, whoever just made that, I'm just like, dude, like it, you, you're talking, you're making a jersey about the color of the bricks in your city it doesn't make a lot of sense but yeah i don't i mean i spoke about this on the brooklyn buzz with nick and i was a little bit higher on it than he was he didn't really care he never really cares about jerseys in general i thought our other ones were worse the the great um the great graffiti ones but then i saw them in person they kind of mesh well with the the aesthetic of the court and such i always love the kugi trim i think that's really cool and you know i think it's hard because last year's one was so cool because we had the black with the cougar trimming, whereas the white doesn't look as good. And I think a lot of people, including you know a fellow OTG writer that we all know, Will Jackson, is incredibly low on it because it's bed and we still don't have a, a, a jersey that actually says Nets on it. So if it just, <laughs> if it just said Nets instead of bed I think most Brooklyn Nets fans would be like, man, this is flames. But yeah. right now, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. Well... Where can we find our work? Now, we all write for Off the Glass, so we can find our stuff there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Justin Quinn. My name, nothing in between, but three ends at the end. Long story. Uh, where can we find you guys? Uh, beside, beside, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. USA Today and Double Clutch UK are where you can find me. But where can we find you guys? Yeah, I'm at Off the Glass and Nets Republic on Twitter at the JMANJBT on the Brooklyn Buzz at Just Ball Things. And oh, part of the you know, awesome podcast now again. And just grateful to. I like speaking. I like. I feel like we've bridged a gap today, guys, bringing two <laughs> worlds together. You know, I think that, you know, this is a, a, almost like a peace treaty of sorts. And I think that all Brooklyn Nets fans, all Boston Celtics fans need to listen to this and shows that there, there can be healthy dialogue and healthy debate while also finding common ground. It's 
I think it's symptomatic of what we all need today. I'm going to go block Jack on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jack, I agree. It's just sports, and it's also November. We'll talk in the spring. See how you feel in the spring. Uh, I'm also also on the internet. My last name is too long to spell. Uh, If you follow them, too, you'll find me eventually. Well, you can find the pod on most podcatcher apps. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please rate us five stars. If you don't like something, please do not give us a negative rating. Tell us how to make it better. With a comment on Twitter or the hashtag CLPOD, we are always trying to bring you the deepest dive into Celtics coverage and in at least this particular discrete instance, the Brooklyn Nets as well. Take care, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving.